Welcome to A History of the Inca. Episode 61, The Wrong Inca. Hello everyone and welcome once again to A History of the Inca. I am your host, Nick Mashinsky. First, thank you very much to Preston P. for your support on Patreon. And now is a great time to mention that the show is not just on Patreon, but also Coffee. That is K-O-F-I. It is a place where you go to support your favorite creators. And unlike Patreon, you can make a one-time donation, which some of you may like more than signing up for a monthly donation service. That is K-O-F-I in search for A History of the Inca. Please check out the website ahistoryoftheinca.wordpress.com to view some of the pictures associated with each episode. You can also listen to past episodes on the website while viewing Inca-related content. Bonus points for you if you share the website on your social media. Speaking of which, check us out on social media like, retweet, boost, whatever they're calling it these days. Your your sharing of whatever the podcast posts helps bring in new listeners. And let's be honest, everyone should be learning about the Inca. Well, we're in April 2023, and you have until May 1st to get me your questions so I can get you some answers. There are no bad questions, So please send whatever you have my way. And thanks. Now then. Last episode we discussed Paulu. We touched on his life under Spanish rule as the puppet Sapa Inca, but also how he navigated the civil wars of the conquistadors and somehow always ended up picking the winning side. We also discussed the fate of Manco Inca betrayed by the Spanish fugitives who had killed Francisco Pizarro. A few years later, his brother Paulu would too pass after attempting a trip to Vilcabamba to bring down the heir of Manco Inca, who is the subject of our episode today. Enjoy. As Manco Inca lay dying in a house deep in Vilcabamba, a messenger arrived informing the Inca and those around him that his Spanish attackers had been killed as they attempted to flee. But knowing that his time to meet his father, Inti, was quickly approaching, Manco made it known that he wanted his son, Seri Tupac, to don the fringe and lead the Inca in Vilcabamba. And indeed, not long after the Inca passed on, his panaca began the process of mummifying his body. Not much is known about Seri Tupac's childhood, and that's perhaps due to the fact that he was still a child. Yes, while he was Manco Inca's oldest legitimate son, Seri Tupac was too young to rule on his own, and so he was placed under a regency council. And according to historian John Hemming, 
a powerful revival of Inca traditionalism took place. This isn't necessarily a surprise. Given that the murderers of Manco Inca were Spanish, it just reinforced the idea that the Spanish were simply not to be trusted at all. They would take advantage of anything the Inca offered, even after years of hosting and giving them refuge. This ban on all things Spanish even led to the Inca halting raids of Spanish goods and of assimilating Spanish fighting methods. It appears that the regents hoped that traditional fighting methods and the isolation of Vilcabamba would be enough to fend off any Spanish incursion. However, the Spanish were not done with Inca. Though Pedro de la Gasca had settled the Spanish unrest in the Andes, he had not completed his duties to the Spanish crown. So the skilled diplomat assembled an embassy to travel to Vilcabamba to coax the Inca out of hiding. To lead this embassy, Gasca had to pick an Inca he could trust. Paulu was still alive at this time, but was too valuable to permit to leave into the rainforest. So Gasca chose the Inca captain Cayu Topa, the captain who betrayed Bastinza on the Capacnan, likely at Paulu's request. Sending Cayotopa and Inca was a smart decision by Gasca. A Spaniard would have likely been killed soon after entering the region. Of course, it is possible that Cayotopa was greeted with heavy suspicion himself, but if he was, the Inca captain turned the situation around. In July 1549, Cayotopa's envoy returned with gifts from the Inca including parrots, cats, and flutes. Paulu was given a few special gifts, including objects of gold, silver, birds, and kumbi cloth. But that wasn't all that was brought out of Vilcabamba. Joining Cayo Topa were a few of Seri Topak's representatives. The representatives from Vilcabamba came down to get an idea of Gasca's seriousness with his offers to the Inca. And Gasca reassured them that he was quite serious about having the Inca come down from Vilcabamba and live in Cusco. Another embassy was organized, and this time Don Martin, an Inca who converted to Christianity, was chosen to lead it. Don Martin did not go empty-handed, though. With him were gifts of clothing of various colors, two casks of preserves, as well as two casks of wine. However, also included was a threat from Gasca that if the Inca did not come down from Vilcabamba, Gasca would invade and force them down. Don Martin and his captains would return around mid-August, with more representatives from the Inca. This time, though, the representatives had come with a message for Gasca, a list of demands from Sayri Tupac. Included in this list was the following, that he would get the lands of Vilcabamba, and the land between the Puramac and Abanque rivers would also be his. 
Several estates that belonged to his grandfather, Wanakapak, would also be turned over to him. And finally, Sari Tupac would be given some lands near Hakihawana. Gaska informed the representatives that he would consider the proposal, and generally speaking, he was agreeable to everything that the Inca had listed off, except one, Vilcabamba. The Inca were already difficult to dislodge from the area, so Gasca did not like the idea of allowing them to have that area as a possible stronghold. The Vilcabamba condition didn't seem like too much of a hang-up, though. According to Don Martin, Sari Tupac's advisors seemed anxious for the young Inca to return to Cuzco. Quite the opposite of what had been the feeling for a couple years now. In fact, the Inca seemed so ready to leave Vilcabamba that a few people were sent from the area to take possession of a few houses near Cuzco to prepare for Sari Tupac's arrival. With this encouraging sign, Gasca felt like it was time to move his most important piece, Paulu. As an uncle of Sari Tupac, it was believed that the Spanish ally would be able to sway the mind of his nephew into finally leaving the jungle. But we already know what happened. Paulu would never make it into Velcabamba again. Instead, the Inca would die from an illness he contracted while attempting the journey. The sudden death of Paulu frightened Sari Tupac and his regents, who feared foul play on the part of the Spanish. So much so that the Inca once again isolated themselves in Vilcabamba, much to the dismay of Pedro de la Gasca. This turn of events highlights the issue the Spanish were realizing they faced in the Andes. You see, the conquistadors had come in and were frankly happy to destroy anything that was previously established. This wasn't necessarily what the crown wanted. Sure, the crown wanted gold, riches, resources, colonies, conversions, all of that. But they didn't necessarily want so much destruction. It was easier for them to take over and create a puppet kingdom than to rebuild one from scratch. So Spain wanted to appease the Inca out of, according to Hemming, mixed feelings of guilt, legal rectitude, and historical sentiment. This is quite a change in attitude, and it could be due to the sublimus dus that had been issued. I mean, initially, reports celebrated the quote-unquote justice of overthrowing Atahualpa, claiming that he was no more than a usurper. However, the conquistadors in Spain recognized Manco Inca as the legitimate ruler of the Inca, but he had rebelled and left for Vilcabamba. This meant that no matter how much Paulu favored the Spanish and how much the Spanish raised him up, the latter was never really able to justify Paolu as the true leader of the Inca. The legitimate ruler of the Inca had died, and in the eyes of the Spanish, he had passed his legitimacy down to his son, 
Seri Topak. Of course, this European idea of legitimacy was very different from the one of the Inca, who tried to pass the title of Sapa Inca onto the most capable. But it explains the Spanish guilt and why everyone, including the king, wanted to win over the Inca in Vilcabamba. In fact, it was the future king, Prince Philip, who wrote to Seri Tupac on March 19, 1552. In his letter, the prince acknowledged that Manco Inca had been provoked into rebellion by the conquistadors. He offered a full pardon to Seri Tupac for any crimes he may have committed since becoming Sapa Inca. Moreover, he promised that all towns in Vilcabamba would not be awarded to any individual Spaniard if Seri Tupac came down to Cusco. However, the bad luck would continue for the Spanish as the viceroy who was in charge of delivering the letter to the Inca died. Now this was not Gasca who perished. He never held the title of viceroy, but the message thus fell to a new viceroy nonetheless. That new viceroy was Andreas Watado de Mendoza, the Marquis of Cañete. It was now on him to pursue negotiations with the Inca. Cañete got busy right away by reaching out to Dana Beatriz Huelas Nostra, daughter of Juana Capac. At the time, Dana Beatriz was on her third Spanish husband. We've talked about her second husband before, though, Bustinza, who was killed after being betrayed by Paolo's men on the Capacnan. But now we're going to talk about Dana Beatriz's son from her first marriage, Juan Sierra de Leguizamo, because she suggested him to be the envoy on behalf of Cañete and the Spanish. Also joining the embassy into Vilcabamba was Juan Betanzos. Of course, we talked about Betanzos long ago when we discussed our sources. Betanzos was a sponge when it came to Quechua and could speak it quite fluently. His knowledge of the Inca was also extensive for Spaniard, thanks to his marriage to Dana Angelina, formerly Cuxime Oclo. The Inca princess Ancoya married to Atahualpa, who then became a mistress to Francisco Pizarro. This also made Betanzos Beatriz's brother-in-law. Yeah, these family trees really start getting pretty wild now. It was 1557 when the embassy set out for Vilcabamba entering the area via the bridge of Chuquichaca. They were detained several times as they pressed further into the region. It had been a few years since the talks between Seri Tupac and Gasca began, and with Paulu's sudden demise, the Inca were still wary of newcomers to the region. Juan Sierra's blood connection to Seri Tupac was certainly leaned on, to permit the group deeper into the territory. The pardon from Prince Philip was also with them and likely helped keep them alive as well. 
the embassy was able to make it to the town of Vilcabamba itself and presented gifts and the pardon to Sari Tupac. The Inca gladly accepted the gifts, but the decision was not his, because he was still under a regency at the time. Thus the regents said that they would debate the topic. In the meantime, the envoys left Vilcabamba and traveled to Lima with two representatives from the Inca to negotiate with the Viceroy, arriving in July of 1557. When asked about the pardon, Cañete again promised a full pardon for Seri Tupac and estates if the Inca would leave Vilcabamba within the next six months. With the clock ticking, Juan Sierra joined the Vilcabamba embassy in returning to the jungle to deliver this ultimatum. The offer led to further debate amongst the regents. Sacrifices were made and entrails of llamas were read to determine the correct decision. The signs were favorable for leaving, but there were many that still feared what may become of the young Inca. It may have been during these debates that Seri Tupac came of age and was able to rule in his own right, because we are told that he himself made the decision to leave Vilcabamba and to settle in Spanish Peru with many of his followers. Eight days of feasting and celebrating ensued, though there were some in Vilcabamba who thought Seri Tupac leaving was an abandonment of everything that Manco Inca had worked for. Regardless of their thoughts, though, Seri Tupac left Vilcabamba on October 7th, 1557. Notably, as he came out of the area, he left the imperial fringe behind. As Seri Tupac traveled to Lima on the Capacnan, he was greeted along the way by the inhabitants of the villages and towns he passed. However, the greetings took on more of a somber tone than a celebration that his ancestors had once enjoyed as they traveled across the Andes. He reached Lima on January 5th, 1558, and met with Cañete. During the meeting, the viceroy presented the Inca with a decree confirming the estates that would be granted to the Inca. Vilcabamba was excluded. A bit of an exchange between the Inca and the Spaniard was observed, and has been passed down through the centuries. From Hemming, the story goes that the Inca, possibly irritated by the theatricality of this gesture, plucked a thread from the silk tassel of the tablecloth, held it up, and said that this thread compared to the entire cloth in the same proportion that the estates he was being given compared to his grandfather's empire. His comparison was not unreasonable. Indeed, the comparison was quite apt. Sari Tupac would have control of a mere sliver of land compared to the land in Tawatinsuyu at its height. Still, the estates that Sari Tupac was being guaranteed were enough to make him a very, very rich man. After a short stint in Lima, Sari Tupac traveled back up the mountains and on to Cusco. 
He stayed with his aunt, Donna Beatrice, and since it was his first time in the former capital, Sari Tupac's relatives showed the Inca around to see the glories of his ancestors. Later, in 1558, Sari Tupac was baptized, but not long afterwards he fell ill. In fact, the Inca became so sick that he made a will making his daughter, Beatrice, obviously named after his aunt, as his main beneficiary. Fortunately for Sari Tupac, he recovered. Yet, unfortunately, he would die about two years later, while at one of his estates in the Yucay Valley. The Inca was in his early 20s, which left many to suspect foul play, poisoning, perhaps by Paulu's son, Don Carlos, or by Tidu Kuzi Yupanqui, who now controlled Vilcabamba. But both claims were unfounded. Sari Tupac was under a regency council nearly his entire life. It was not quite clear if the decision to come out of Vilcabamba was his, his advisors, or those who wanted the Inca out of the way. It is possible it was a combination of the three. His decision to leave Vilcabamba was self-serving. Better to cut a deal and live his life on an estate than the humid and hot jungles of Vilcabamba. Sari Tupac's abandonment of Vilcabamba for a more comfortable life didn't really benefit him too much. But as we'll eventually see, it did benefit his descendants. The death of Sari Tupac was more bad news for the Spanish. They believed that they had finally gotten the Inca out of Vilcabamba. But they didn't. It seems like Sari Tupac was the wrong Inca for both Vilcabamba and the Spanish, as the more military-minded regents had been fine with letting the Inca leave with his followers. They believed that Tito Cusi Yupanqui would be far more likely to continue the Inca's resistance. Mm-hmm.